Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Thanks for tuning in to our newest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. As we mentioned in the first few episodes, we planned to dive into specific topics that were more pertinent to pharmacists and were uh, more focused on clinical trends. Uh, today, we are joined by one of our 30 compounding pharmacists on staff, and his name is Nat Jones. So, Nat, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, Nat, this is going to be great for our listeners because we had a chance to speak to Sebastian more one-on-one last episode, but more importantly... Uh, we're going to get to find out a bit more about your background, your history, what brought you to PCCA, but more importantly, what's important to you concerning derm, um, wound care, and obviously scar treatment. Um, we know that you have been a pharmacist since 1993. You uh, obviously have been a compounding pharmacist since that time and joined PCCA circa 1996. Uh, so you were a member of PCCA for quite some time. Uh, Actually, I, I became a pharmacist in 1979. I've been a pharmacist for 40 years. I didn't open my store till 93. Well, so, you look yeah. so young, so we, know, didn't, right? we didn't want to talk about when you actually started. Yeah, yeah. But you <laughs> were a compounding pharmacist for obviously quite some time. Long His time. specialty is anti-aging, and you should see him. <laughs> and you look fantastic, Nat. Yeah, thanks. And we've known you for some time because you have been part of our team since 2014. Um, obviously, your experience as being not only a community pharmacist owner, but as well as a compounding pharmacist has taught you a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you have shared with us that you had experience both from a sterile and non-sterile point of view, uh, but mainly have had some, some key strengths in certain areas, primarily HRT and pain management along the years. Um, most recently, we've, we've called on you as being one of our experts in the realm of wound and scar. Um, so that's been amazing to tap into your knowledge. Uh, but we want to learn a bit more about you specifically. Um, and I know you've worked with Sebastian for the last five years. So we know you quite well, but our listeners do not. So this is going to be a great opportunity to sit down to learn more with one of our clinical services specialists um, to learn more specifically about you as well. Um, so thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. I, I guess the first question that we'll ask you and the first question that, that would make sense to all of our listeners out there is what has interested you the most about compounding since 1993 because your experience is quite vast. Uh, but what do you enjoy the most and um, what brought you to PCCA? Well, I, um, uh, I was one of those, uh, start off, I go way back. I was a nerdy kid. I had a chemistry set when I was little and I actually enjoyed it. I understood a little bit of it as I grew, got older. And uh, so when I got to, you know, academics, uh, I, I delved into science. I was certainly a science math nerd kind of guy and, uh, um, so I, I enjoyed lab sciences right from the get-go, everything dealing from, you know, every subject all the way up. And I'm still curious. In fact, that's it's when the lifelong learning thing comes in. I, uh, I never stop learning. You can't, I don't think, and stay alive in this business. So, um, And the areas that I really got interested in, first off, uh, when I first started compounding, it was um, just general compounding. It was derm. You know, it was simple things for the most part. Then I started getting into pain uh, med, meds, um, transdermal pain therapy, which is a whole new thing. I mean, it was brand new. Uh, I learned how to make my first PLO gel probably like 19, you know, 94 or something like that. So it's been a long time back. Um, joined PCCA, like you said, in 1996. 
started presenting for PCCA probably in the late 90s. They had me start doing some, uh, you know, roundtable things and um, you know, stuff. And I started doing stage presentations for PCCA probably about 2000. Uh, did my first A4M presentation in 2001, main stage A4M. So I, I kind of got involved in presenting. I did a lot of uh, the BHRT seminars. I did a lot of the, you know, that those sorts of things for their edu our educational department here. Um, so to when it got around to when I was ready to sell my store after 20 years of ownership, um, PCCA kind of knew who I was and that I'd been on stage a lot. And I guess they figured I was a reasonable risk to put back on stage again, <laughs> or at least hire me to come in and start answering some questions. But there's a learning curve. It's like anything else. I mean, this is a different job than I had as an owner of a store. I mean, you, you wear a thousand hats as an owner of a store and you, you end up doing a million things and then the buck stops with you kind of stuff. But uh, when you're here, there's a method you have to go about in terms of being able to field a broad range of questions. And we have a huge broad range of questions that come into to the clinical services department. So um, I had to learn. Um, it's, it's like like Bruce Biondo and I say, that we, we probably had to relearn more things than most people have because we forgot stuff we learned, you know, 35 years ago. And uh, it's been a while since, since, since pharmacy school, you know. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, you constantly have to remind yourself of. But anyway, to get back to your question, um, you know, I got involved in BHRT uh, shortly after I joined PCCA. So in the, in the 90s, I started doing BHRT consults, which became my largest segment for my business. And then Subsequent to that, after learning more and more about functional medicine, it became everything endocrine, so adrenals and thyroid, and uh, it expanded from there. Um, so uh, when, you, when you're across the, the desk talking to a patient, doing consultation work, you got to learn to get results, you know, so it, it taught me a lot in terms of being able to get it, get it right, or at least adjust it as we went by and get it right. So I think BHRT was probably the biggest time-consuming piece of my practice, fell in love with it. Pain medicine kind of came, filtered in the whole time. You never stopped doing transdermal pain therapy. I didn't. And then it got bigger and bigger. Of course, with the insurance model that was around for several years, people were getting reimbursed. I was cash only at that point, believe it or not. I, I kind of missed a big part of the boom. Um, so got in on the end of it a little bit there because I was getting ready to sell my store. So that's kind of what brought me into, back into uh, insurance building. But anyway, long story short, um, I got into derm also along the way, a lot of derm along the way. And uh, really didn't get into scar therapy until hmm, uh, maybe the last 10 years. But wounds, wound things have been around. I've, I started working on wound care quite a ways back. And uh, did a presentation, I think, for PCCA on wounds probably 2005, 2006. I don't remember exactly when that was with pictures before, during, and after on four cases. So that kind of got me uh, my foot in the door as the wound guy, you know. So, and I had a lot of practitioners that I worked with, and we had a lot of success with wound care. From what I learned from PCCA, by the way, it was an original thought. I don't have that many original thoughts. I mean, just just to let everybody know. So, for our listeners out there, if you've come to a live event in the last fifteen years, twenty years, there's a very good chance you've seen Nat speak. Um, Nat's got a natural presence behind a microphone, both as a musician and as a stage speaker for us at our live educational events. I think I've seen you speak on adrenals. I've seen you speak on thyroid specifically. I've seen you speak in inhalation therapy, wound, derm. So you, you, you're kind of the jack of all trades, um, which is really cool because you can see yourself invest yourself yeah. specifically in one, one area, and then you become the master. So you're not the jack of all trades. You become master of all trades, <laughs> which is quite unique um, because there are not many people out there that can even wrap their head around going to so many different areas and being great at everything that they do. So it's really cool to see... You, not only your experience with us as a consultant, but 
what you've done with us from a live educational point of view. And that's why, for those of you that are not familiar with you, there's a lot going on with Nat Jones. And, uh, and that's why we were so happy to have you here today, because something that is more or less a new trend that sometimes pharmacists don't focus on is the topic of wound and scar um, and, and Durham as an overall application. So um, I know Sebastian's probably chomping at the bit because he's like, I know that he's going to have a ton of questions that are more specific to, to things that you have worked on together. Because I know Sebastian specifically um, has spoken on this topic as well. And I think you may have spoken together at one of our similar events. Uh, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I've seen that speak prior to him becoming part of the consulting team. And it was actually really fun because not only did he speak, he actually pulled in his guitar and entertained afterwards. And it was probably one of our better shows up in Canada. I don't know if you remember that one. Calgary. Yeah. Toronto, Calgary. And then I think after that, since Vancouver, you've been there a few times. Oh, yeah. So um, the really simple one, though, I'll, just starting off with is we talked about wound and scar and and then we've, we've touched on derm. Um, why is this? Why is this such a good trend to start pursuing today? Because you know, everyone starts things low hanging fruit, low hanging fruit. But I I see this as possibly one of the more exciting opportunities. Well, I, th I think a uh, couple reasons. Um, when you look at uh, dermatology at large, um, dermatology, everybody thinks it's simple. It's just uh, you know the skin. You've got something wrong with the skin. You can look at it. It's really should be really simple to diagnose or figure out what the problem is. Of course, pharmacists candidly we were not supposed to diagnose but we get asked to suggest things for whatever it Can looks like. Can I show like. you something? Yeah, yeah exactly. The front counter is I mean, oh my gosh I've seen way too much at my counter <laughs> trust me along the way but uh, it's um, or colleagues you know it, you get people that you know come in for example in Canada you know where, where people have to get where it's a socialized medis medical program and you have to be referred to a dermatologist it may take a couple of months or longer to get in to see the dermatologist. And so meanwhile, the family practitioner, or, um, you know, is, is the person that you go to, you go to your regular, your regular uh, primary care doc and they're guessing kind of, sort of, sometimes they're, the derm's not their specialty. So they go, okay, here's what I think it is. Here's, you know, let's try this. And then the patient tries it and, and it may not work. So then the, the patient comes to you and says, okay, I've tried this, this is still not working. What can I do? So then the pharmacist is in a position to make a recommendation uh, for the patient to the doctor of something to try until the patient can be referred to the dermatologist. So it's kind of like being an interim dermatologist, if you will. If you're a compounding pharmacist in Canada, it's, just, it's a great opportunity. So if you're Canadian and you want to get into derm, it is a big field to get into. One of the things I liked about getting into derm things in the States is a lot of the things that uh, were that are dermatologically related are sometimes classified as cosmetic by the insurance industry. Therefore, it's not a covered service. They don't think it's not medically necessary for you to treat this blemish or whatever. Nobody ever died from acne. You know what I'm saying? So they, they, they kind of prioritize what they're going to cover, not cover, or, or skin lightening or something of that nature. So it's a good field to go into because it can be cash business. That's the other, other upside to, to derm compounding. Um, and then when you get into stuff like scar therapy, well, you know, nobody ever died from a scar. You know, is it necessary to treat this scar to make the skin look perfect, perfect again or as perfect as you can again? Usually not. So now we're looking at another cash segment, if you will, for people, um, for patients to be able to do something that's going to actually work or have good odds of working to improve the appearance of their scar. 
um, which is a, a great segment because it's very rewarding to have somebody come to you, show you something, and then six months later go, aha, this looks amazing. You know, and, and you can do that with a fresh scar a lot of times. You can make a big, big, impress, a big impact on it. And wound care, I, I cannot tell you how amazing it was to treat patients who had wounds that they had been going to see a wound specialist or someone treating it for a year before they walked in your pharmacy. And then when you get a chance to work with them, you close it in two months and it looks good after two months. Then you can treat the scar, but you close the wound that, 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 the, that the other people couldn't close over a year worth of therapy. So suddenly you, you had a huge impact on this patient's life and you can watch people go back to work. You, you can you know, you see people that are, they, they get their life back. Yeah, because this wound is closed. So it's it's big it's big positive impact. Very, very positive impact. Uh, I'll share a story with you if you want. Yeah. yeah no, okay, okay. That was I, my next question. Okay. You, we I need got, to hear I a success a story. Of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I had a young lady that uh, was uh, got a call one day from the dermatologist and she said, uh, you know, Nat, I've got this patient uh, that we've tried, you know, she names off all the different drugs they tried and she had trichodysplasia. Oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. Trichodysplasia is the, is the term, and I said first. My first question was, "What is that?" I had no idea. I'd never heard of this <laughs> disease state before, you know. So I learned. Uh, everybody does. And uh, she said, "Well, it's it's a condition where the patient grows these wart-like structures, you know, on the face and neck, um, and is, and other parts of the body." But and this patient was on her face and neck, and it's because she was a renal transplant patient, was on a lot of immunosuppressive drugs post-transplant, and she was going to be on these drugs for forever and ever, probably, or a long, long, long time. So, um, and the, these warty structures were all over her face, there were over 200 of them. This is a, a female probably in her late 20s. So this was pretty devastating from a, um, you know, impact, I mean, image impact and for this patient. It was very, very disturbing to look in the mirror and see this, you know, it was not a good thing. And so um, she asked me, what do I have? And I said, well, okay, I've got three antivirals you know, because I'd looked at what they had tried. They were trying mostly antiviral medications. And I said, I've got three antivirals that we can combine and I can put it into a transdermal base that we can apply to this patient's face. She was not familiar with two of the three. And I had to educate her about what those were and send her some articles. She finally called, you know, emailed me back or talked, called me back and said, yeah, let's go with this. So I made it. And uh, I'm sitting there and um, one day about a month later and a, a van pulled up in the front of our store. We have windows. You can see people coming and going from the front of the store. And I saw this van pull up, and then I saw a wheelchair get out, or someone helped someone in a wheelchair get out and come in our pharmacy. And it was the patient. And she wanted to meet the pharmacist who had made her medication, and she showed me her face. Literally, those warts were about 85% dissipated. Wow. Wow. She just wanted to meet me. You know, that, that doesn't happen when you work for a chain store. Somebody doesn't get out of their handicap van, make a special trip down to see you because you had that big of an impact because you filled a regular prescription, you know. So compounding is highly, highly rewarding, and, and that's derm. That was just one, one thing, one example of derm. We ended up uh, pu publishing that as a case study in a derm journal and uh, you know, back in 2010 or something like that, so it's been a few years. But still, I mean, that, that's just a, a great heartwarming reason to get up and go to work the next day kind of thing, you know, so. For sure. So this is, it kind of touched on a bunch of things for me. I, I've heard that comment. It's not life-threatening. It's not medically necessary. I find that um, a very destructive statement to a patient's psyche. Oh, yeah. Because patients, they have to look at their own face. They have to look at their own skin. They have to live within that body. And if it's a problem to them, it should be a problem to their primary provider. It should be a problem to their healthcare team. And that's, to me, one of the biggest things that I, I had to learn that the hard way, um, having that conversation with acne, some with acne. And they were told... Well, it's not bad to me. It's not bad to me. But it was so 
it was almost a, it was like a depressant. Tell that to, to a them. teenage girl that acne is not a bad thing, right? And we've all had blotches on our face and we're all like, ooh, I'm embarrassed to go out the door. So if we can actually have a positive impact on those patients. But it actually brings me to my next question. You said you had that as a publication in 2010. Since then, you've come somewhat prolific in your writing. And I understand you actually have a chapter or you have an insert in a chapter. I have an ebook. It was that there was submitted as a chapter to go in um, a Durham uh, ebook or a Durham publication, and they the the publishers looked at it and said it was uh, rather extensive and far too comprehensive to be just a chapter in their book. So they made it a standalone ebook. It's uh, it was published by Avid Science uh, September of 2017. It's called Advances in Psoriasis. So you can. Look that up if you want to get, get, if you're really having a hard time falling asleep at night <laughs> and, and you want to read, you know, one of, you know, 96 pages and you know, a well-referenced article on uh, compounding for psoriasis. And it was, it's literally A to Z, everything that, you know, commercially available and compounding options, lifestyle changes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how to fix the gut and all that sort of stuff for psoriasis. Yeah. So effectively, this is a culmination of the last, and I don't want to say 40 years because you look like you're. 25, but mm. the, certainly your, your experience over the last 40 years. And this is actually an incredibly well-referenced. This is, this is a, literally a book unto itself on psoriasis. So this would be a great, it would be a great resource for anyone to pick up, but you researched this, you've worked on this for how long? And then have you spoken about this? Have you done anything more with it since? Have you, have you seen any inroads? Uh, yeah. Well, I um, published a case study that was released just prior to this paper coming out, um, and that's what caused the publishing company to call me. They saw my case study that I published and said, "Okay, we'd like you to you know, publish something for us." So um, I included the, the the case study, which, by the way, was published in the International Journal of Compounding Pharmacists uh, in the May June issue for 2017. And so I, I, they asked me right after that, would I contribute to their journal? And so I said, okay, I can. I had to get permission, you know, to take the time to write the article. And I literally spent pretty much all day, every day for about five weeks writing this, this chapter or the book, ebook on psoriasis. So it takes a long time. It takes a long time to write um, um, what to me was really just a chapter in, uh, from a medical textbook perspective kind of thing. And um, because I wanted to make sure that it was thoroughly researched and that I was putting nothing but what I thought was true fact, something that was substantial in the book. And, and I didn't want to, you know, put any hyperbole or just guesswork in or something that sounds good. You know, I wanted to make sure that it was well documented. So I took my time, um, put it together. And yes, I have lectured on a lot of things during, before, during and after that. I mean, it's just been, um, you know, I. I like to talk about dermatology because it's one of those subjects where I feel like I've got a handle on it. You know, it's not like everything you, everything in the world you can get a handle on, you know what I mean? So everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. This happens to be one area that, because it interests me a lot, you know, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, you, you, you tend to excel at the things that interest you more. So, so quick recap, because we're obviously, we're fast forwarding, we're fast tracking well ahead. Uh, we're, we're talking to someone with close to 30 years of compounding experience, um, they have published ebooks, uh, published case studies, have been a consultant with us for five years. Pro probably written close to a thousand formulas in the last yeah, five years as it, well. Just for all that, let's to take things back a sec, because you, you talk about how uh, dermatology just interests you in general. And you spoke about the markets both in the United States and Canada, mm -hmm. talking about general practitioners and dermatologists specifically. Um, to our listeners who potentially only compound once or twice a day, um, that are thinking about expanding their business primarily 
on dermatological preparations, were there certain things that you focused on in the beginning to help build both your knowledge and your business? Um, yes. Uh, there were a lot of things that you can compound that are fairly simple with dermatology. Um, for example, I mean, you know, pediatricians need things to treat diaper rash. Uh, you've got patients, you know, and psoriasis is a fairly common derm condition. You see a lot of this. You see a lot of eczema. Right. Uh, you see a lot of atopic derm, same sort of a genre of stuff. You see a lot of patients or a fair number of patients with acne. I mean, it's pretty common. In fact, it's probably the most common derm thing worldwide yeah. is acne. You know? So when we, we talk about psoriasis, eczema, acne, we're, we, we pretty much cover a majority of and what ro- people would see. And rosacea. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of common derm things that go on. And then, and then melasma, you know, where you've got a hyperpigmentation thing. That's a, it's a big concern for the, for the people that have it because it's, it's, in large measure, it's mostly female patients. And it's very uh, disturbing to them to have an uneven complexion. It, because when, you know, the, the face is what people look at. The eyes and the face are what you first see when you start conversing with someone, you meet them. And to have a, an uneven complexion, they feel like they, they become self-conscious about it and they don't want don't to do that. So, yeah, you're right. The, the, this handful of major derm things. I, had, I did a, um, a presentation for our members uh, last January, uh, 30th of January a year ago, about um, how a lot of the dermatologic preparations that are commercially available have accelerated or gone way up in price. You know, the, the, um, uh, inflation is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just thousand percent. Sometimes it's just crazy how much some of these things have gone up. And so then they make, then it makes the product unaffordable because of the, the, the manufacturers raised the price so high. So dermatologists are constantly getting phone calls back to their office. I, I, my patient, patient can't afford this. What do we do? What do we substitute? So I gave a presentation for compounding pharmacists on ideas on how they could take alternative combinations of drugs, not just the single entity drug. Most of the time it was a combination of multiple ingredients to enhance the efficacy or at least stand a chance of enhancing the efficacy of the, of the compound and to replace that expensive derm product and save the patient money at the same time as well as build and grow their derm practice. I had one of our pharmacy members uh, on the West Coast uh, wrote an email to my boss uh, to, just to congratulate uh, me on what a, a good job I did on this this webinar that, that they watched because they were able to grow their, their entire practice volume by 132% over the course of the year, um, which is phenomenal. And, and they just went out and marketed with the ideas that I presented in that one webinar to grow their, and Durham became a huge segment for their, their pharma, compounding pharmacy. So it was, it was, that's a, that's a big deal. If you can raise your sales that much in one year, I mean, hold on. You know tremendous I mean? effort, but tremendous results. Exactly. And that webinar is still available on PCCA Play. So if someone yep. wanted to revisit it, they could just search out your name and find it. Exactly. Rewatch it. And then it, it, it's the same thing. It's the education piece. It's always, you know, growing your practice by revisiting the same ideas and becoming reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. So, so um, back to your business piece. Mm-hmm. Yes. You've done the webinars, your education piece. So if you were to say that there is like I know we touched upon it, melasma, acne, mm-hmm. uh, diaper rash, but let's dial it in. I'm seeing a ton of um, a ton of exploration in people with eczema and psoriasis with these biologicals, and these things are just oh, massively expensive, six to ten thousand dollars a month. Copays are through the roof, and do we have a compounding alternative to a biological? Because this is this is one that I catch all the time. Yeah. Um, well, I. I got asked to speak on a panel at the American Academy of Dermatology um, 
spring a year ago, and I was on a panel with the vice president of one of those companies that makes the biologics and also the president-elect of the American Medical Association. And I was the, the last guy to speak, and they talked about that. And the AMA people, they're, they're not happy with the price of these biologics either. The doctors are very upset that something costs $50,000 a year to treat a skin condition. It's just ludicrous. Uh, I understand they put a lot of money into research and development. I'm not saying that the pharmaceutical industry doesn't do a lot of good for a lot of patients, because they do, but at the same time, it's just outrageously expensive. So I got up and I was just like, okay, here's the things that people have been treating this disease state for for decades. It, they still work, and you can do this formula or you can do that formula. And the doctors in the room were very excited to hear what I had to say. It gave them simple, affordable options to treat dermatologic conditions that did not involve a thirty to $50,000 biologic, which, by the way, have some potential serious consequences, side effects long-term. I don't think we understand what the long-term implications are. I mean, anything that can increase your risk of serious infection and cancer cannot be a good thing to have <laughs> on your warning box. And I don't think the derm products that we're compounding for our patients have anywhere near that kind of risk. So that's just, to me, it's, a, it's common sense. But if you read the literature... Because you have to understand where's the literature coming from. Literature is coming from being funded by the pharmaceutical industry. So there's, you know, we're all biased. Everybody's got bias built in. It depends on where you sit, determines where you stand kind of thing, right? So, but the, I think that the bias from the that side of the aisle is just tremendous. And, of course, they're going to push therapy in that direction. And, you know, the, the, in large measure, the large pharmaceutical companies have a massive impact on the standard of care in U.S., Canada, Australia, Great Britain, everywhere. It's just, you know, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. So the next part to that is going to be, I know you said you focused on HRT and you, mm-hmm. were, you were focusing there. Did you see a natural segue into that patient population with the derm piece? Because you, you've got people who are sitting there in front of you saying, help my hormones, and then what's their follow-up question right after? Yeah, well, I, I, I saw the segue there for me as a compounding pharmacist was not necessarily into dermatology per se, but into anti-aging medicine. Because the a vast majority of my patients in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy were female. It was probably 20 to 1 female to male. And so and you can, you've got women who were menopausal close to either approaching menopause or at menopause or after menopause seeking therapy, um, then you're also looking at the potential because as women get older and they lose their estrogen, their estrogen declines, wrinkles go up. Skin loves estrogen. Without, without est- adequate estrogen, skin will wrinkle. And it's a whole lot easier to maintain the skin than it is to go back and try to erase even two or three years worth of wrinkling. Really, it, it's hard to undo that. Uh, it takes a lot of money uh, to undo a lot of that So and a lot of procedures. So it's a whole lot easier to start with some facial therapy. And so that was a big segue for me to, to go into anti-aging topical skin care. And sometimes it involved hormones in the skin care. So it's a prescription, you know, with, with, a, with a little bit of estrogen in it, the right kind of estrogen in it, the right amount to keep it safe and keep it uh, affordable and uh, make it work. I, I think of when you came to join the PCCA team in 2014, uh, shortly thereafter, we, our R&D team, um, our innovative side of our business, invented new bases that basically honed in on dermatological applications. So mm-hmm. I think of Zematop um, yep. as being one of the ideal candidates mostly to treat psoriasis and eczema. I think about our clarifying base, 
which is used for facial applications. Acne, um, rosacea. Exactly, skin, and the list yeah. goes on and on. And then I think about Spearwash also in terms of its impact on wound care. Um, obviously, very hard to treat wounds. And mm-hmm. I think that's a topic that the both of you have spoken on. Um, I've seen the presentations. I've been horrified all at <laughs> once because Seb always like, check out this wound. Check out to, to see what this pharmacist has sent us and what we got to treat. We, we call it pharmacy porn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you see this one? Oh, yeah. gross. These, Show me again. Uh, Show these me are again. images that I do, I do not wish to uh, to look at when, I'm, when I have some spare time. But... Um, I think about all these bases that have come out that are specifically designed for dermatological application. And I think about the R&D that PCCA has invested in. Um, what has this meant for a lot of patients out there? And not only patients, but the member pharmacies who have access to these bases. And what has it meant to the formulations that we provide? Have we been able to do different things um, in different ways because of the innovation that we've invested within the company? Great question, and the answer is absolutely yes. It, it, it has literally changed the complexion, no pun intended, of, uh, of, oh, of derm practice. Sorry, smooth. did I go that there? Was, I, I would, that was smooth, man. Okay, okay. And, uh, it's a granddad joke. But I, the, I had when I, you know, when I first um, got here in 2014, I had to spend a lot of time self-study. You know, I mean, to kind of catch up on all the bases and 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 what was going on. So I, I think probably for the first six months or so that I was here, I didn't create any formulations. And then they asked me to get involved with your nose and throat. And then that's when I started going crazy with Mucolox. We didn't talk about that, but that your nose and throat base, it's phenomenal. And then they, next year they asked me to get involved and do some derm presentation work. And that's when I kind of exploded on the derm formulas. And, and uh, Pracocide, I can't forget about Pracocide. Oh, yeah, no, you can't. I mean, the scars. I mean, um, I, I, I would just digress for a second. The R&D department in our company is the most innovative department of research and development in compounding in the world. When we develop products, our competition is literally in the rearview mirror. There's no question about it. Nobody else has this level of innovation, and it has been consistently innovative. They have developed bases that are designed to hold pharmaceutical ingredients, active pharmaceutical ingredients. And uh, a lot of the things that dermatologists have been typically n- known for is they'll go, okay, there's a product on the market. It's like it's a facial wash or a cleanser. And they'll go, okay, we want you to put, you know, 5% of this, 10% of this ingredient in, into this product that's really designed to be a standalone. A, a standalone moisturizer or something. And it's never designed to hold active ingredients. Whereas our bases are designed, specifically designed to incorporate, make them more functional, or at least make them functional or available to the skin so that they will disseminate into the skin properly, be absorbed and flux through the skin and do their job, you know, the way they should. And um, it, it it has changed everything dermatologically. Um, we... Um, um, like Zimatop, for example, Zimatop has got 35 ingredients in it. That's not a, that's not a simple base. That's a very complex base, right? And when you get around to looking at the number of ingredients, you've got um, you've got things that are so specific. For example, uh, Zimatop has a ceramide in it, and it's not just a ceramide. People go, okay, what's a ceramide? Well, ceramide is a like a fat, so to speak, that the human body produces. And as the skin skin cells move up, it releases this fat into, to, and then, then that becomes part of this coating around all the cells on the surface of the skin that's a, we call it lipid. So it's this natural lipid that occurs on the skin. Well, as you get older, you make less of that. And we know this, 
right? Our R&D department knows this. And not only did we know that to put a ceramide in, in the product, but we knew the right kind of ceramide to put in the product because the ones that's, that's, that's short, the, we have the lack of as we get older are the long chains. And this was a long chain. So it, it's a, a synthetic long chain. So it fits in and actually helps repair the barrier. So if you look at a skin condition like eczema, the barrier is no good in the skin. We're losing water through the skin because of this disruption because of the disease state. Same thing with atopic dermatitis, same thing with psoriasis, rosacea. There's all this water evaporation from the skin. So that means the skin is not holding the moisture in and doing its job properly. That's one of the major functions of skin is to keep the moisture in, right? So if you can help improve or repair the barrier with a product, then not only have you been able to incorporate drugs to treat the condition, but you've been able to actually repair the barrier, which is a huge key to helping the patient recover and, and maybe get permanent recovery from a disease state. So yeah, our bases uh, by far are the, the most innovative things um, that I, I think that's come into dermatology in a long, long, long time. Does it change the way that you've consulted pharmacists? Absolutely. We, uh, the, the number of formulations we have put together in the last couple of years <laughs> for Derm is off the chain. So we're over 9,000 as a company, mm -hmm. and Seb alluded to, I don't know if it was an accurate number, but it's over 1,000 formulas, uh, but it's, it's probably quite possible. So, I, I think I'm, I've, so, I've so, created so, about 120 a year for the last several years. So Every time he does a presentation, there's at least somewhere between 8 to 10 new formulations in the last five slides each, it seems. <laughs> He's like, okay, so I'm just going to do a couple of Mucolox uh, formulations. Hey, look at these. And I'm like, where did you come up with it's the same thing. But, so but case but, in point, if you see Nat Jones on one of our agendas for one of our live events, you're going to come learn it's a, something it's completely a must new. Attend. It's oh, a yeah. complete must there's, attend. There's well, I want to give their money's worth. And, and everybody's always looking for what's new. Right. Our, our members are always – I think come people to our, are our, listening to this podcast, Nat, to find out what is new. We'll get to that in a sec. But mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a big part of what compounding pharmacy is. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of the education piece, as mm -hmm. Sebastian alluded to. It's a big part – of what we do from a consulting point of view. People want to know what's new because they need to bring it into their practice and hopefully market it in a certain way to set themselves apart. I personally couldn't think of a better way to set myself apart without using our bases or without using some of the formulation ideas that you bring to the forefront and then focusing in on a topic like dermatology that sometimes doesn't get as much attention as pain management or hormones mm -hmm. and, and functional medicine and the other things that we always consider um, are directly related to compounding. But when it comes to dermatology, like you said, you, you shared patient stories that make dramatic impacts on mm -hmm. people's lives. I know you probably have tens or hundreds of these stories based on the patients that you've seen. Uh, what, what are the next steps? I, it's the natural progression, the natural segue into that topic, but what are the next steps within derm or, or wound care that you envision being extremely important and in the spotlight um, as being the next phase of patient care? I, I think that uh, the next phase for us, um, compounders in general, is, is really being able to publish more and more of our cases that we do work. I mean, you're talking about, the, the, you know, you're, if you're in the trenches and you see patients and you help patients get well, we've got one of our colleagues that treats wounds all the time, and he is very, very involved with his pa patient care. And he has treated so many patients for wounds and then scars or scars alone, and he kind of loses track of them. He's not, he, he, he'll, he will send a picture and go, okay, here's what it looks like this week. Here's what it looks like, you know, a week later. And we're constantly talking back and forth about how to adjust the therapy because it's a moving target. Literally, when you're treating a, a wound, it's a moving target. It's never exactly the same. 
And then you got to figure, okay, now what's going on with the wound? Where are we? Does it need debridement? Does it, you know, what, what's what's the next phase for this pa- this patient and, and guide therapy? I think if we can start documenting more and more of those cases and gather data and publish the data, it's going to add more and more credence to compounding in general because that's we, we need to show the medical world that what we do has an impact and that we have good science and that the science is valid and helps patients. Do we have an avenue to help people get these case studies published, or, or what would you do? Absolutely. Um, as a one of the um, uh, clinical pharmacists in pharmacy uh, clinical services, we are constantly making ourselves available to our members to uh, create case study publications. Um, I think right now I'm working on probably seven or eight case studies with different members on different things. A lot of them are derm-oriented, but it can be any topic. It can be hormones, it can be, you know, uh, vet, it can be any, anything that, that, that our members are excited about or have a case that's working well or, a, you know, something that they're seeing results in that they want to share because it's all about sharing. I mean, you know, we are, we are all colleagues in, in the compounding world. We can certainly share our ideas. Uh, we're n- nobody's an island. You're not going to make it as an island. You need support. Everybody needs colleagues to, you know, to help you learn and grow. So if we can share and publicate, publish our, our case studies, I think that's a huge key for, for every, everybody wins. When you publish it, everybody wins, and you share how you made the formula, how the formula was applied, you know, what, what dosage did you use, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we're, if you're interested in doing a case study, if you're a compounding pharmacy and you're one of our members and you, and you want to publish a case study, you think you've got an interesting patient that you've had success with, please let us know. We would love to hear about it. Um, and we've got a whole uh, department called PCC, PCCA Science. That's hard to say fast for some reason. Um, and we have a PhD that, that is one of the critical, critical um, team members involved to help us get our publications uh, formatted properly, use valid questionnaires, make sure that they're submitted properly to journals, and 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 it, which improves our odds of getting a good quality publication. And, and that's probably the the best explanation I've heard in terms of accessing PCCA science. In my opinion, it's uh, the most underrated area of our website specifically. If you want to learn more about PCCA science visit our public site at www.pccarx.com. At the bottom of the page, you'll see some of our microsites, um, areas of the, that kind of bring you to completely different landing pages in, on, in their own right. And PCCA Science's link is right in the bottom. Um, it's a great way to learn more about some of these case studies, more about these publications, uh, poster competitions that, we, that we're a part of worldwide, not just within the United States. Um, Dr. Maria Carvalho is um, a very big part of our PCCA Science team. Um, and is always looking for more content and looking for more patient stories. So I think that's a a great way to to kind of spin into PCCA science as well because you have direct involvement with them as well in that, and um, it's a great way to kind of let our listeners know what's also out there. I know there's probably members of PCCA that are not familiar with PCCA science specifically, so thanks for bringing that up because it's a great way to to kind of spin into it as well. The other, the other point there is that all the clinical firms on our team <clears throat> can help out with getting that information to Maria, and you can just reach out if you have documented any of these cases and want to put something together. It, it'll be vetted, and you've got a PhD on this paper. You'll be published, and it will be a great exposure for not only um, your pharmacy but also your compounding practice, and it will actually help other compounding pharmacists because one, that's one of the biggest issues is there is sometimes scant evidence to support the use. And so if we've actually got these combination therapies where we have documented proof that they're successful in a timeline and instead of becoming the 
last ditch effort, it can actually become come earlier on in the in the treatment process. So, one of the things I've noticed is that um, if you've got a physician you're working with, a dermatologist, for example, and you're working with them, and there's a, a formula that um, you think is a reasonable, reasonably good choice or an excellent choice in some cases for the patient's need, um, and you want to publish a case study, you can go to, the, go to the, have the, the pharmacy call the doctor and say, Doc, you know, we're, we're looking to maybe publish a case study. Would you be interested in co-authoring a case study with us? And when you work with a physician and you co-author a paper together like that, you become tighter colleagues. I mean, they, they understand that you're not just this person standing behind the counter on the corner that can put pills in a bottle. You know, you're actually a part of that uh, therapy development, treatment for the patient. You're going to counsel the patient. You're going to oversee a lot of what goes on and, and become a part of their team. You, you, you become a huge resource. And who are they going to call next time that they have a problem? They're going to oh. call you because who else? Well, you collaborated on a paper and then exactly. got published and everyone is happier with that outcome. And, yes. oh, by the way, we did fix someone at the end of this. Exactly. So. It drives practice both both sides. So what's next for you, Nat? Uh, well, I'm uh, traveling a lot this year. Um, as you guys probably know, I work with um, uh, our company, and we have uh, different business uh, things going on around the planet. So I'm going to uh, London, uh, England in uh, March, and then I'm going to Australia in June and back to London in November. So I've got several trips planned this coming year to help do business development and clinical marketing, so to speak, in, in those parts of the world and some good education, I hope. so. Yeah, I know we've always leaned on you as being one of our um, one of our speakers in the international scene. Uh, I know you, how many times have you spoken in the UK? Um, I think last year, um, I was over there twice last year, maybe twice the year before, once the year before that. So, And then you've spoken in Sydney, obviously, with our Australian Sydney counterparts. And, uh, yeah, and then Gold Coast and going back. This has been my third trip to Australia to do Poor you, I know, it's terrible. It's, it's just, a terrible gig you got. It's bad. And Canada as well. Let's not forget Canada. Well, I've been coast to coast in Canada, coast to coast in the U.S. too. So many, many, many uh, trips all around uh, North America, as they say. This will be our chance to say hi to Brenda. Yes, yes. <laughs> hi, Brenda. <laughs> We've stolen away so that he can be here to do this interview. He's obviously here now and uh, not going anywhere anytime soon. Definitely a, a big part of our team. Uh, Nat, it was an absolute pleasure to to sit down with you to kind of go through this. Um, couldn't think of a better reference. Like I said, you're pretty much jack of all trades and master of many. So we appreciate you uh, sitting down with the podcast and looking forward to our listeners getting a chance to hear you as well. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it thoroughly, always. Let me let me I can come back. This is a lot of fun. Well, thanks again, Nat. Um, appreciate you joining us. And I want to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning into this latest episode of A Mortar and Pestle a PCCA podcast. Uh, just a reminder to please continue to subscribe and to listen to all of our episodes. We're searchable on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and now currently on Spotify, which is uh, our newest platform for the delivery of newest episodes. Uh, just a reminder as well to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, we always encourage you to visit our public site for some new information for those of you out there looking at finding out more about membership. Until next time, this is Mike Delisio, and we'll talk to you soon.